0: Coming up on today's Locked On Hawkeyes podcast, Kirk Ferentz was talking about changes. We know one won't happen in season, but what about some change with the offense? We'll talk about that. It's our first ever mailbag. We take your questions here today. And basketball, it was media day yesterday. We'll get our first look at the hoopsters coming up today. That's all coming your way next on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Our Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Welcome back once again to the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. I'm Trent Condon. Glad to have you aboard with us here today. And thanks for making Locked On Hawkeyes your first listen each and every day. Available wherever you get podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search Locked On Hawkeyes. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button as we continue to get more and more people out there as we talk Hawkeyes all throughout the week. LaShawn Daniels, former Hawkeye running back, he joins us. My old buddy Jace, he's in as well. He's uh, off now getting ready for a wedding. Not for him, no, for his niece this weekend. But we are ready for Iowa, Illinois. Plenty to get into on that front, and we will hear today. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOT to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Thanks to Upside, and thanks for you for joining us here today on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Well, Let's get into it. we got a mailbag coming up. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, Iowa basketball. Always excited to talk about the Hoopsters, but let's uh, start with what we heard earlier this week is, of course, on Tuesday at his press conference day and Kirk Ferentz, we haven't had much chance to decipher and get into things. It, it's in many ways, your standard Kirk Ferentz press conference, right? It, it's a lot of the same uh, cliches that are out there, the same stories. We know what you're going to get when Kirk is up there at the podium, but he was pressed a couple of times and, and talking about changes. Scott Dockerman asked a question. Chad Leistikow a couple of the beat writers that uh, were talking about uh, things with Kirk about that and making changes. And, Obviously, the change that we saw dating back to Sunday, the firing of Paul Christ at Wisconsin and and what that has meant to that program. Jim Leonard taking over in an interim basis and a guy that's basically going to get a seven-game kind of a resume builder, if you will, for him. A lot of people believe that the job is his if he can get things at least righted in a certain direction. He is that beloved. He is a guy that people think can be a star. As a head coach at Wisconsin, so that's going on. Scott Frost, you're looking through that. Obviously, a couple of big ones there. But I was interesting when Kirk was talking about those changes and and changes in season and different things that we're going to see. So, you know, the first part about it with Kirk is the old school mentality that comes up, the evolution of football and college football that we've talked about a lot here recently. So, one of the first things. Now you get into is the adaptability that Iowa has and their ability to go out and be able to do those types of things, making a change on the fly. It's something that is not going to happen, and and that's one thing I, I always I really strive to do. You guys out there listening and watching is I like to look at things in a direction that is realistic. We all have these pie-in-the-sky theories and ideas of what's going to happen and, and changes that need to happen for the football program, the basketball program. doesn't matter what we're talking about. We we have these grandiose ideas, and ultimately, they're not realistic. I want to live in reality. I want to live in the real world. In the real world that we live in, Kirk Ferentz is not going to make, unless he's forced to, he's not going to fire a guy in season. That's not who he is. That's not the way that he believes football is. And we can argue the merits, but that's the likelihood. But going down that direction and looking at, what this is ultimately going to be. And this week the Illinois game is a huge matchup. I mean this very well could dictate how this season ends up. You win this game, you go into the bye week, of course you got Ohio State after that, going to be incredibly difficult to, to even keep that thing within a couple of touchdowns, but you give yourself some real hope that not just can this team be a bowl team and get to six wins this season, but there is still more on the table. That you can challenge in a terrible Big 10 West this year. That you have an opportunity, maybe it's 6 and 3 to get the right tiebreaker and have the right wins. And that gets you to the championship game. It's not progress. They were there a year ago. They were seven and two in the big 10 a year ago before losing in to Michigan in that big 10 championship game. But those are some of the conversations I think that that are out there. And again, living in reality, you lose this game, it can go another direction, but the question that's still out there and something we'll talk about more when we come up in the mailbag, because there were a lot of questions about, Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, what's going to happen is let's live in reality. And the reality is that Kirk Ferentz is not going to fire a son. It's not going to happen. And we can yell and we can complain. And you guys know I've done plenty of that. And I'll probably continue to do that throughout the course of the season. It's been five years in ineptitude. There is not a positive that you can point out with what this offense has turned into. But the reality is the end game, how this is going to go. There's one direction. There's only one direction that ultimately I, I think would serve us as fans, people in the media, and people watching this football program game in a game out. And that is for Brian to walk away after this season, take another job. It doesn't matter what level it is, being going back to the NFL as a position coach. Look, he's not going to be an offensive coordinator, a head coach at a lower level school. Yeah. Look at a guy like Lance Leopold, who never got a job at the highest level. He was at Nebraska-Omaha, finally took a shot at Wisconsin-Whitewater, won six national championships in the D3 ranks. And even there, he couldn't get a sniff and finally had to take the Buffalo job, an incredibly difficult job in the MAC. did a good job. And now you're seeing the Reclamation Project in a place where people didn't think you could win anymore at Kansas, and he has them ranked in the top 25. Those guys are out there, so you can go and take a low-level job. It comes down to that. The other part of this is we know because of nepotism rules that Brian actually his boss in front of him is not his dad, Kirk Ferentz, the way that it's structured, it's supposed to be Gary Barta. That's a name only again, a living in reality. We know the reality is that's not the case. Gary Barta is not coming in and saying, Oh, why did you, why did you make a drop that play on third down? Of what? No, that's that's not what Gary Barta is doing. He answers to his dad and Brian The numbers have not backed up anything positive for every glimpse of positivity that you see. The Ohio State game, uh, the bowl game, and the win against USC. uh, I got a half dozen on the negative side that you can look at. I mean, after that Ohio State game, they put up 66 yards of total offense against Wisconsin the following week after putting 55 points on the board against Ohio State. It just, those are the kind of things that you've got with him throughout his tenure. One step forward, six steps back. That's Brian Ferentz as an offensive coordinator, but he's not going to change. It's not going to move, and and that's I think what the beat guys were working at this week. They were trying to put it in a direction where maybe, just maybe, you could get something that that yeah, strikes a nerve, gets people going a little bit. But you know, this is Kirk. This is his mo. This is the way that he has been built. Mentioned Illinois this week and the importance of this game for Iowa too. to to get that fourth win of the season. They'll be favored, it looks like, in two more games this season, maybe a little bit more, depending on the way that it shakes out. They'll be favored against uh, Northwestern and more likely favored against Nebraska. Those lines were out last week at Elite Sportsbook. Uh, Since then, I've not seen them reapplied for this week, and if they are, I'll certainly pass them along to you. But at that point, well, Iowa was a favorite going into this game against Illinois. That is no longer the case after what we saw last week from the Illini. And, of course, the win against Wisconsin and then Iowa uh, falling on their face against Michigan in the 27-14 loss. Just just some numbers to throw your way, though, about this Illinois team. And and I've heard this a lot. Are we sure Illinois is that good? Wisconsin game the football a couple of times. They made it incredibly difficult. But what they're doing well does not marry with what Iowa has a chance to do well. First of all, this team offensively, the run of ball, right? 30th in the country. They have the leading rusher in the country and Chase Brown, who's been an absolute stud for them this season. This is big boy football. This is physical. This is lineup. I think Iowa matches up better as opposed to more of a spread it out kind of style that we saw last week from Michigan and their offensive line, the push they got. But Illinois is going to be ready. They're going to be able to run the football. They've done it against everybody so far uh, this season. So will Iowa be able to move the football? If this is you know a ground attack kind of game, Clock's always moving. Can Iowa have any semblance of offense? Because we've talked so much about this Illinois team and what they've done offensively. And I think because Chase Brown is the leading rusher in the country, you know, it kind of leads to a pretty easy one. DeVito, their quarterback, Tommy DeVito, even looking back to his days at Syracuse, this is not a guy that turns it over very well. Well, what is Iowa's defense? When are they at their best? It's when they're turning you over, when they're forcing those turnovers, when they're making it difficult. And that has not been the case, not just this year for DeVito but really throughout his whole career that's a little negative check mark against the Hawkeyes then this defense look at these numbers right now total defense they're third in the country giving up 229 yards per game rush defense number three in the country 11th in the country and passing yards allowed first in the country and pass efficiency defense first in the country in scoring defense giving only 8.4 points per game They have been incredibly good. Third down conversion defense, ninth in the country, sixth in the country, and fourth down conversion defense. They they are playing at an elite level. That front seven right now is the best in the Big Ten West, and I don't think it's particularly close. Iowa, yeah, it's got a good defense. That front seven's very good. Illinois, though, what they've done and what they've accomplished at this point, even better than what we've seen from the Hawkeyes. This is going to be a talented defense, and you look at the game plan that the Illini employed last week against Wisconsin. It was very simple. We're going to shut down Allen in that running game, and we're going to say, Graham Mertz, if you can beat us, we'll tip your ball cap. Graham Mertz couldn't do it. Game plan this week is going to be very simple. Spencer Petrus beat us, and if he does, you tip your ball cap. Do we have any hope that Spencer Petrus can beat anybody? I don't think so even with the incremental improvements that we've seen the last two weeks, to think that he's going to put this team on his back. Maybe had his best statistical game, certainly since the Maryland game a year ago, and maybe since his first start back in 2020 against Purdue. I mean, that's how far back we have to go to see any kind of confidence at the level that we saw last week, and it was in a losing effort, obviously, to Michigan. It's a scary proposition, and this Illinois team, the way that they are set up, Does not exactly play into the strengths of the Hawkeyes. One part, putting, advantage there. But the putting and winning, you know, putting's losing, guys. Putting means you're giving the ball back. It it was fun. We all love Tory Taylor, but can we just stop? Unless I was actually winning football games, unless I was playing at a high level. Last year was fun, right? It was fun because it was a fun story. I was winning football games. But now with this team that's going to struggle for bowl eligibility, let's knock it off now. Enough with... The punting is winning. Punting's losing right now. It's losing because this offense stinks. That's where we are. Let's take a quick timeout. When we come back on the other side, we're going to get into our first ever mailbag. That's right. We'll take questions from you. Hope to do this, if not, on a weekly basis every couple of weeks. And, of course, we got some basketball talk as well. Yesterday was Iowa Basketball Media Day. We'll talk about the Cagers coming up here as we roll through. This is the Lockdown Hawkeyes Podcast. From cringing at the pump to getting eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside, it's an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, dines out. Sounds like us all, doesn't it? With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. Mentioned last week, I've used it on gas a couple of times. Used it this week for lunch, earlier in the week. It is absolutely excellent. Cash back. When you make a purchase to get started, you can do the same, download the free upside app, use my promo code locked and you'll get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more claim and offer whatever you're buying on upside. Check in at the business pay as usual with your credit card, your debit card and get paid in comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs. You can earn three times more cash back with upside upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's why they have a 4.8-star rating on the App AppStar. Get out your phone right now. Download the free Upside app. Use promo code LOCKED. Get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. We continue here on the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast. I'm Trent Condon. Thanks for making Lockdown Hawkeyes your first listen each and every day. Available wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube as you see me down in the man cave here and uh, yeah, getting started with my Hawkeye memorabilia over my shoulder and great memories of years past. Uh, not, nothing has made the board so far this season. 7-3 against South Dakota State, and not so much. The win against Nevada, nah, nah, that's not going to do it. The win against Rutgers, you're going to be bouncing your grandkids on your knee talking about that one. I know I'm not. I'm going to guess you're not either. Well, this week it is Illinois. So with the Illini on tap, we talked a lot about them in the first segment. But wanted to get into some questions, some questions from some different people out here. Uh, and and also had a suggestion. And, and so just going to read here uh, my favorite Hawkeye message board halo Uh, some guys with some good suggestions this comes from mikey joe uh and just a suggestion says mailing mailbag podcasts are very easy make sure to have a good list of questions ready to go i've read that some podcast hosts find it helpful to print each mailbag question out on a separate note card in advance i didn't do that my bad that way you can cycle through each question when you're done answering it you can shove the note card up your butt you stupid piece of crap! All right, thank you, Mikey. That's uh, how we get things started here at our first ever mailbag. Uh, Mikey really firing through. Uh, a lot of questions on Brian Ferentz. Uh, we're talking about bat wings. We're talking about hair. We're not going to get into those kind of things. Let's let's go a little bit deeper here and talk about some of the questions about the offense. And, and that was a big big part of your responses out there. A lot of questions about this. Uh, this comes from Hawkeye fan sixty nine. Is it Brian's fault or is it Kirk's system? Can any offensive coordinator succeed in this system? So, a, a bit of a loaded question in my mind. Can can you succeed? What is success, right? How do you measure success? Well, for Kirk, it's about W and Ls, right? I mean that that's what it's been. One of my biggest frustrations over this five years of Brian Ferentz running the offense is I feel like they have had missed opportunities. That that this team this organization this program they they should have been a tick better than they even have been it's been all right big 10 west championship a year ago got to the title game but it felt like there could have been so much more 2019 i talked about this with biz yesterday and in 2019 you have two offensive tackles that are starters in the NFL. Tristan Wirfs, who is one of the best right tackles, if not the best right tackle in the game, and now Laird Jackson uh, back starting with the Rams. Of course, Tyler Linderbaum was a young center on that team. Guard play was a struggle that year, but that season they finished 98th in the country in rushing offense. Looking back to the Ken O'Keefe years, going back to when he was the offensive coordinator, first of all, last year, last week, excuse me, the 2002 team was back, and, and they celebrated them at Kinnick, and it was gra- great to see Brad Banks and Dallas Clark and the, and the players that made that team what it was. They were 13th in the country that year in total offense, so it can happen. Now, it took arguably the best offensive line in program history. It took playmakers on the outside with Mo Brown and C.J. Jones, the best tight end in the country, and Brad Banks, who finished second in the Heisman. I mean, it was a confluence event, so I didn't even talk about Fred Russell and Jermel Lewis running the football. I mean, you had dudes, right? And Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's, we can get into that. Still, it has happened. It was 20 years ago, but it did happen where they were 13th in the country. You go through then after there. And 2005, 2006, 22nd in the country, 27th in the country, 53rd in 2008, uh, with both Jake Christensen and Ricky Stanzi manning the quarterback position, 57th in 2010. So they've had success. At, and that's what we're looking at. You know, that 57th number just average, you know, right in the middle of the country. And there are a few more teams now at the FBS level as opposed to back when Ken O'Keefe was the coordinator. That's what we're looking for. We're, we're, I don't think anybody here is shooting for the moon. We know we're going to be ball control. It's going to be a pro-style offense. It's going to be a lot of zone-blocking concepts. That's all what it is. But O'Keefe years, though we argued about it and we complained about it at times, and it got very frustrating, got stale, all those things, it wasn't nearly as bad as people believe. Greg Davis, who is much blind. His first year was awful. I mean, as bad as you can, well, until we've seen here this season, 117th that year out of 124 teams in total offense. The next year, 84th by 2015. Like again, got to middle of the pack, 72nd in the country. Out of 128, of course, that team goes on, wins the uh, Big Ten West that season, and goes on to the Big Ten championship game, falling in the heartbreaking fashion to Michigan State before the Rose Bowl. So it's been there before. But this is what we've got now in the six years now, counting this season, of Brian Ferentz. Year one, 117th. Year two, 92nd. Year three, 99th. High water mark 2020, the COVID year. Oh, that's got to be really good, though. 88th. In total offense out of 128 teams last year 121st and now this year 130th in the country brian ferentz is in over his head i mean there's no doubt about it there is no way you can look at these numbers over now a six-year period and say that this guy is competent. he's not as an offensive coordinator is he a good line coach baby was he a good tight end coach in the nfl who knows You can argue the merits about that. You cannot argue the merits, though, that he is a good offensive coordinator at the Big Ten level because he has six years of data that says he's terrible. This is not a Kirk Ferentz problem. This is a Brian Ferentz problem. There has been good offenses when Kirk has been at the helm. That is not the case when Brian has been here. He's in over his head. Who would make a great Iowa offensive coordinator? This one comes uh, from Brian Boss. You know, that's one that... Is interesting because you you look at the concepts that continue to evolve and change throughout the course of college football. We know, and Kirk brought this up during his press conference earlier in the week that hey, we're not going to be Mississippi State. Nobody's asking you to be Mississippi State. You're not going to play five wide receivers and the oop to oop and and throw it 60 times a game. That nobody is asking for that. Nobody t- and expects that that's what you're going to do. Again, living in reality, the reality is Kirk has basic philosophies be physical michigan last week they ran out of shotgun and they ran a majority of their plays out of shotgun both running and passing who's a more physical football team who are the bullies of the big 10 something that was labeled by iowa back in 2002 it was michigan they out physical to you they did it running out of the shotgun you can do that jet sweep motion i will use it a little bit should they implement it more The argument certainly could be made, and Scott Dockerman had a good article at The Athletic talking about just that this week. Just because your base offense is starting out a pistol or shotgun does not mean that you can't be physical. Look at a team like in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. It's a team that has a lot of the basic concepts that are very similar to what Iowa tries to do, and it's just a completely different watch between the two programs and the way that they run their teams and they run their offenses. One Kyle Shanahan son of a great coach. The other Brian Ferentz, who would you take? It's not even close. You can still do what you want to do. You can still play football in the style that you want, but it has to be a guy that is willing to adapt And is Kirk going to adapt enough to let somebody have free reign that is also a big question you know is that really going to happen is Kirk willing to do those types of things a couple of names that that jump out and and biz uh yesterday he he brought up one that I thought was really good it was taking a look at Utah so Andy Ludwig he's been uh with for a very long time with Whittingham as the offensive coordinator older guy 58 years old but the money's there right Iowa has the money and we know the money is going to continue to come in to pay these guys and that's where do you have to look? Look at the Pac-12. Look at the Big 12. It's not just about finding the hot young assistant that's down in the MAC or the Sun Belt or something like that. You can look around. And you can look at different patterns, and, and you can go out and spend. The SEC does this. Other Big Ten programs do this. Iowa has the money to go out and compete and pay at a high level. That was lovely going to leave Utah being with Whittingham as long as he is at 58 years old. likelihood is not very high. But I love the physicality that Utah plays with. Again, same kind of things. They play physical, but they also do it in a style that looks like the 21st century. Uh, Warren Ruggiano, uh, down at Wake Forest. Now, what they do is completely different. It is more throwing the football. It's more of a spread system. Wouldn't work out well, but look at it in this fashion. You know, Their their mesh uh, offense that they run with the wide receivers and the, the different pacing and spacing that they have, it's something that has revolutionized a, a lot of football in the ACC and the way that they do things. But... These guys are out there. If Wake Forest can compete at the level that they have competed now for the last three years and playing at this high level, yeah, they're not winning a national championship. It's Wake Forest. For God's sakes, it's a it's a school that has an enrollment of 3,000 people, but they're still competing in the ACC. These guys are out there. You want to go young. Arkansas has got a quarterback coach in Marcalla who has been still under 30 years old but very highly regarded there's so many people out there and give them a shot, give them an opportunity to come in and do those kind of things. Again, the physicality along with still coming into the 21st century, it's out there, their names out there. And there's were just a, a couple that popped into my head as I was going through things. Uh, here's a couple of questions from Brad, Brad Bellick. What do you think Brian Ferentz continues to run so many formations, which opponents know the tendencies of uh fullback and run, 70% of the time, versus 8-9 in the box. Uh, that, that's a huge one. You saw the one play where they had the, and Iowa's probably the only place in the world that has a wheel route for the fullback involved, but and it worked for a big play against Michigan as they got Monty Pottebam sneaking out of the backfield for that. You're right. In this season, you know, I, I read a quote tonight, and, and I apologize because I don't have it uh, here on the phone, and I didn't, I didn't uh, save it, but I thought it was a really good point. We hear all this stuff about analytics and data. On Thursdays, Iowa goes through the data. They know their tendencies, and every team knows their tendencies, but it's not just about having the data. You have to have people that can actually differentiate what the data means. And and is there that guy in the staff? Is there an analytic person that not just gets the raw numbers? Hey, you run 72% of the time on third and three on this side of the 50. Okay. That's one thing, and and breaking tendencies and doing that. But what do all these numbers mean? I don't know if that person's there. Yeah, Not just getting the numbers. Okay, that's great. I'm very happy that Kirk is willing to look at those numbers and look at analytics and and find tendencies and, and do all those different things. But who is there that is actually showing you what these numbers mean, what you should do because these numbers are out there? Not just breaking tendency, but going to another level. I don't think it's there. Another one from Brad. Isn't the name of the game on offense to crest mismatches and put your guys in a successful position to succeed? Tendencies like this, you're failing your players and inviting failure. I don't get it. Is Brian Ferentz ego too big to accept and simplify and be successful? You know, the simplification of the offense is a really good point. And something I, I do want to do, dig into here just a little bit. Is simplifying things. We heard it going into uh, the bowl game last season, that it takes over a year for a quarterback to, to learn this offense. And we heard Alex Padilla talking a lot about that and, and the interest, the intricacies of this offense and how difficult it is to pick up. Why? Why does it have to be that difficult with the limitations that you can have on the practice field with all the different things that are out there? Why does it have to be this difficult in the Iowa offense? You look around, Take a look at a program like Georgia Southern. A year ago, they were running the triple option. And what do they do? They go out they hire a field coach in Clay from USC. And they put 45 on the board in Nebraska running a spread offense. It didn't take that long. They didn't have the players in place. They hit the transfer portal. They got a talented quarterback from Buffalo. They had those things, sure, but Georgia Southern. It doesn't have to be that difficult. And I I say this, I say this line a lot when watching the Iowa offense. Why does it have to be so damn tough? It just, it feels like just a slog to get third and seven. And it feels like you're dead. And when they get the first down, just the elation that you have, it doesn't have to be this difficult. Brad, I really like that point there. Uh, Some good ones there. So uh, those couple of questions from, let's see, uh, on the side. Here's another one. This one comes from Iowa Weather Nerd. Is Kirk unfireable as long as Barta is around? I, I think so. I just I don't see Gary Barta making the tough choice if it gets to a point. We're not there. Again, Iowa played the Big Ten championship game a year ago. I was still three and two this year. Even if the wheels fall apart and this team goes four and eight this season, Kirk's not being fired. Again, live in reality with me. Another bad season, back to back losing seasons. And offense still can't figure it out. We're having a different conversation. And the other part, Paul Christ, he was owed $20 million. It got settled down to $11 million. What was it $16 million for Scott Frost? Iowa right now, after this season, owes Kirk Ferentz a guaranteed $42 million. $11, 16. Again, it's all funny money, right? I, I think for most of us, we look at those numbers and we say, woo. But 42, that's a completely different level yeah. big 10 contracts coming that tv money is going to continue to roll in but that is a whoa. 42 million dollars kirk ferentz is not going anywhere this year he's not going anywhere next year this is going to be at his own accord uh continuing on with the questions here as we're going through the mailbag on the lockdown hawkeyes podcast a couple others here uh one coming in from kathy In a similar light, will Ferris leave before Barta? Vice versa, leave at the same time. I think Gary Barta is going to leave before him. I I think we're winding down towards the end of Gary Barta. And uh, that's one that I think you're going to see pretty quickly here, uh, that we're not going to see Gary Barta. I would say I put the over on two and a half years. I think that's a fair number for him. Gary Barta right now, he is, let's see, 59 years old. I, I thought he was a little bit older than that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Might be wrong on that front. We've talked about Barta in the past, of course. Some of the uh, issues that have cropped up with him. A lot of money that has uh, come out of the athletic department on some dumb, dumb decisions by Gary Barta. And, well, we can argue another bad one, giving this kind of contract. Where was Kirk Ferentz going when he got the last contract extension, right? He wasn't leaving. He wasn't going anywhere. Why do you have to put this kind of guaranteed money? This is across college football; it just drives you absolutely nuts. Another one from Kathy: When sh- uh, will should the Big Ten get rid of the East-West divisions? If so, when do you think it'll happen? So, what's going to happen is divisions, as we know them, are going to go away, and they're going to go away when USC and UCLA join the Big Ten. So, when it goes to these sixteen teams, people think, "Oh, this will be easy. They'll just shift to USC and UCLA. They'll be in the West." You'll put Purdue back over in the East, along with Indiana. They'll have their conference battle. That's not going to happen. You look at the discrepancy, and it's shown up in an even bigger way this year. Though the West has never won a championship game, there's been highly competitive games. Of course, we mentioned the Iowa game against Michigan State down to the wire. Wisconsin, Ohio State, Northwestern a couple years ago. I mean, They had a shot in that game against Ohio State. You look overall at conference record and the strength between the two. The gap has not been as significant as the national media would want you, but this year it's been brutal. And Minnesota losing last week, the last remaining undefeated team in the Big Ten West, them going down at the hands of Purdue. It's going to be bad this year, and it's going to be bad because on top of it, whoever comes out of the East this year Ohio State, Michigan, even Penn State, whatever that turns out to be, they are going to put an absolute butt-whooping on whoever comes out of this dogfight this year, the Big Ten West. It's going to be ugly. It's going away. I think it will remain in place until 2024 when we see USC and UCLA join, but it'll just be one more season is what we're looking at here of the East-West divide. And then it'll be protected rivalries. Iowa, they have maintained and they have tried and talked to the conference office about maintaining the rivalries on a yearly basis with Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, those three. There's other teams, Penn State being one of them, that do not want to have to have three protected rivals. We'll see. You know they they made special accord, of course. Just mentioned Purdue and Indiana being in different divisions, yet they play every single year. There's things that that they can do, but rivalries are important for Iowa. So that's something that Barta's got to be beating his chest about in maintaining those rivalries. I mean, how bad did it stink the two years that you didn't see Wisconsin Iowa? That that was just it was terrible. We how long we didn't see Iowa Illinois? We get to see that game this week. Rivalries are just so so important, and and that's one that I hope Barta what little pull he might have. I hope that one. Certainly works out. So uh, those are look a couple of the mailbag questions here. Let's see uh, one more look through, see if we got anything else on the mailbag uh, rolling through here. one through scroll. Um, let's see. I was wrong. Uh, that's about it. All right, so yeah, a few questions here today. We'll continue to do this. We still have more coming up on one of our longer podcasts. We're going to talk some basketball. I'm excited. I love hoops. Iowa basketball was my first love. I'm a Hawkeye fan first and foremost, because of Iowa basketball. I'm excited about this team. I think they're going to be good again this season. Frey McCaffrey looking to get his eighth team in the last 10 years into the NCAA tournament. If he accomplishes that, something that Dr. Tom has never done, something Lute Olson never did, this is something that is rarefied air for this program. We all want to see that second weekend, right? We all want to see them break through and get to the Sweet 16. I get that, but be happy where we are with this Iowa basketball program. Even I'll lose into a crappy Richmond team. That's as we continue here in a moment. This is the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Trent of back with you one final time on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Hit us up on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Even if you're not a video watcher, it always helps out, and we greatly appreciate it. So we finish up with some basketball talk. Iowa team comes in, not in anybody's top 25, but many people out there uh, do have them projected as an NCAA tournament team. Uh, I saw earlier this summer, The Joe Lenardi of ESPN, overrated as a bracketologist, by the way. There are so many out there that are so much better. Had them as an NCAA tournament team. Uh, Bart Torvik, who is an analytic-based site, Uh, he has Iowa right now coming in in his rankings at number 36, safely in the NCAA tournament at that spot. I think that's a good spot to start with this Iowa team. Of course, the question remains, how good are they going to be, minus Keegan, leaving to the NBA, who... Keegan Murray looks like he is going to be an absolute star at the next level. I mean, just how good the upside still can be. A guy just scratching the surface of of what he can be as a player. A guy that I was told. So as he was being recruited, him and Chris, of course, uh, going into their senior year. And at the time, I don't, it was when they got their offer from Western Illinois. At that time, their best offer was from Mankato State. A D2 program in Minnesota. That was their best offer. And when the offer from Western Illinois came, I had a college basketball scout that I really respect and does a really good job on the scouting side. He told me that that felt like a stretch. Now, it's not like Western Illinois is good. In fact, they're awful. They have been one of the worst programs, though they've had a little bit more success here recently. This at the time was a bad Summit League team. And he said he thought it was a stretch. Wasn't sure about the toughness. Not sure how they were going to translate. Not sure if they were really even D1, low D1 basketball players. And just a couple of years later, here's Keegan's lottery. Hey, we're not all going to knock it out of the park. And I love to rib him from time to time about that evaluation. But there are a lot of questions about them and to develop. So So can Chris take the reins and be the alpha, be the guy that you need a bucket. You need a tough spot. He's going to be that guy. It seems like he is. He is different than Keegan. He is not going to be. The same kind of inside presence, the same kind of rebounder that we saw from Keegan. Maybe not even the same kind of explosiveness uh, that we saw from him athletically. But Chris is a better shooter from the outside, and at least has been throughout his career. More crafty in there, and can be a better defender at times and do some different things inside and outside defensively that we didn't see a whole lot from Keegan. You you start with the foundation there. You do have a star that you can build around. Philip France said it yesterday. He is playing at an incredibly high level all throughout this summer. you know, knows now the rigors of the Big Ten. He's undersized. He gives up a lot, but you're going to see even more from him offensively this season. The biggest question remains, who is going to be the point guard? And I might end up dying on this hill, but ultimately, first of all, we have to see DeSante Bowen. Fran, now, Fran's always going to talk highly about his players. That's just who he is. That's the way that he's always been. But when you look at the point guard spot, DeSante Bowen, Top 100 kid, highly regarded it Was somebody that Fran targeted early. And, and that's one thing to remember. When Fran targets one of these guys from out of state early, now he's missed out a lot. Big to, The Blue Bloods have come in so many times and taken him away. And that's been a lot of frustration to see these guys go on and have great college and sometimes NBA careers. But that aside, when he evaluates somebody early on, they usually turn out to be really good and seeing things that maybe other people don't see. He is incredibly high on DeSante Bowen. He he is the point guard that baby Iowa has always looked for. Remember, for 10 of Fran's 13 years, he has had either Mike Gasell or Jordan Bohannon at the point guard spot. And you look back at his Siena teams, those point guards, the way that those point guards played, were completely different than both Gasell and then six years Jordan Bohannon. So, so that's a part. Bowen is more like those guys has a little length to him. He's got a little more wiggle, a little more athleticism than either of those guys. Gasol was a good athlete. I think he gets knocked a little bit with the athleticism, but coupled with his size, there are times going to the rim be taken away. Bowen, the hope is that he's going to be able to use a little bit more bounce, a little bit more strength, and a little bit more height, and he's going to be a different kind of point guard. I am such a huge Tony Perkins fan though. And one thing I, I think was missed for people outside All right. Jordan Bohannon a year ago goes from playing the two guard. They move him back to point. Iowa turns their season around and makes the NCAA tournament, wins the Big Ten basketball tournament, all those things. Right. But so many of those times, Tony Perkins was playing point guard, though Bohannon and him were out there. And Bohannon was the quote unquote point guard. You saw Perkins a ton be the point running things at the top starting the offense, generating, and then, of course, his ability to get to the 10, something that is lacking on this roster. I mean, he can get to the rim. He has incredible finishing ability. He's got strength. His pull-up game is elite. He has all these parts of his game that are so, so good. Can he be a good enough facilitator to do it in a full-time role? I don't think so. But at the minimum, four or five minutes a half, I think you're going to see Tony Perkins at the point guard spot. Aaron Uless played really well, especially defensively at times last year. He was really banged up at the end of the season. He's battling a wrist injury. Here's ultimately how I think it's going to play out. I think you're going to see Eulis early. Then you're going to see Bowen ultimately get that job, and he will be your point guard You know, as the you know, back half of the non-conference schedule gets going and then into Big Ten play in the full outside of the one game that they'll play in December. That's a huge, huge part, though. Really excited to see the way that this is all going to play out with this basketball team. Both McCaffreys, both Connor and Patrick, good things about them. Connor now concentrating completely on basketball, how good he's going to be. Finally, shot the ball well after we've been waiting for what felt like forever to him. Finally, knocked down some shots. That started to happen last season with Connor and the intangibles that he brings to the court. Just that high level basketball that he can go out there. He's a smart guy, he's an extra coach on the floor, all those things. And then on top of it, when he's knocking down shots, just how important that is. For Iowa in this basketball team. So a lot of good things there. Patrick, the light bulb came on after a lot of frustrating moments his first couple of years on campus. I think there's even more upside to him. Peyton Sanford, I mean, we can go on and on. We're going to talk a whole lot more about this team, but I was excited to get into some basketball talking. We'll have plenty of questions leading in to things, and it'll ramp up in a big-time way after a couple of cupcakes to get the non-conference started. Boy, that non-conference slate and what they have, end of November into December. Going to be a ton of big games and excited to talk about them with you. Well, we're out of time. We went a little bit long here today, but we still got one more podcast coming up this week as we get ready for the Iowa-Illinois game. LaShawn Daniels is going to join us. We'll talk to LaShawn about everything going on in his world, break things down, what he sees from that Illinois team, that defense is elite. They're running the football. Tommy DeVito's not turning it over. This is going to be a game. If I was going to pull it off, I think they're going to have to force a few turnovers, not just one, might have to be a couple. Will the Hawkeyes be up to the challenge? We'll talk about that coming up tomorrow. Thanks again for watching us here. Hey, if you're a fan of the Big Ten across the landscape, check out Locked On Big Ten. Nate Dickinson takes you around the Big Ten in 30 minutes each and every day. Breaking down Iowa, Iowa, Illinois coming up this week. Michigan State, Ohio State. Michigan, second straight road trip as they go to Indiana. Purdue, Maryland, I think that game's going to be great. Wisconsin, what happens in game number one for Jim Leonard and a whole lot more. It's Locked On Big Ten with Nate Dickinson. Make Locked On Big Ten your second listen every single day. Back with you tomorrow. Thanks to the mailbag, Mikey Joe. Hey, no note cards for me. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Go Hawks.